0: as we opened god's word last sunday morning we ended with an admonition from colossians chapter 3 verse 17 to do whatever we do whether in word or deed to do it all in the name of the lord jesus christ giving thanks to god the father through him so as believers as the church as followers of jesus we are called to do whatever we do from speaking to Walking, to shopping, to working, to resting, to playing, whatever we do, we're called to do it in a way that brings honor to Jesus Christ. For someone's name represents who they are. And so for us to do whatever we do in a way that honors Christ is to do everything in a way that's consistent with who He is, that represents Jesus and represents Jesus. Well, that's what we're called to do. That's a big task. That's a high calling. That's a big responsibility. And we know, according to God's word, that we don't do that in order to earn some position before God. And in order to earn our salvation, our forgiveness, our right standing before God. Because we can't do that. Rather, we, we represent Christ and we do everything in a way that honors Christ because of what he has done for us because he has in his grace extended salvation to us new life to us transforming us to be more and more like him to live a life that's consistent with with who he is what would it look like if if Jesus were to to follow us around if Jesus were to to go with us everywhere that we go and be actively involved in everything that we do, and everything that we say, and every relationship that we're in, and every activity that we participate in. And the reality is, whether we acknowledged it when we woke up this morning or not, the Spirit of Jesus was with us. And as the people of God who woke up this morning and got in our cars and drove to this place to be with the gathered church, Jesus was with us. And. According to the Bible, as we now come together as His people, in His honor to worship Him and to hear from Him, the Spirit of Jesus is, is with us. You know, we talk a lot about following Jesus, and, and rightly so. That's what we're called to do. He is our leader. He is our Lord. But does your life look like, and does my life look like, Jesus is following us? Not as if we are his leader, but as if he has entered into every aspect of our lives. As if he has impacted all of us and we are reflecting him in all that we do. What does it look like for Jesus to to go home with us each day and to interact through us and our household relationships? What does it look like for Jesus to go with us to work each day and impact the way that we work? What does it look like to live a life that recognizes Jesus' presence all the time? Well, let me invite you to to open God's Word with me this morning to Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our Colossians series and and look at some of the applications of that very question. We'll be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning beginning in verse 18 and we'll be in this, this short letter for two more weeks after today concluding uh, this series rediscover Jesus walking through this uh, letter to Christians in Colossae. Before we begin a new series, we'll be uh, looking at the life of Jacob in a series titled "Family Feuds." But t- today, this morning, let's let's look at uh, Colossians chapter three, picking up in verse eighteen. Together, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning from what we normally uh, do, but a, a tradition that many churches practice, and uh, I invite you to stand as we as we read God's word this morning as we invite God to speak to us acknowledge that it is it is God from whom we want to hear so I'll be reading in Colossians chapter 3 beginning in verse 18 there God's word reads this way wives submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them children Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you, and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward." It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Join me in prayer. Now, Father, we invite you to speak to us through your word. Speak to us through your holy words that that we might be challenged, that we might be encouraged, that we might be instructed, or that we might be more faithful followers of Jesus. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When Jesus follows you, there's different relationships and instructions for these relationships from, that I just read from Colossians chapter 3 are the specific applications or some of the specific applications from the verse that precedes them. The general principle of verse 17, that whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we ought to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so Paul goes on to say, well, what does that look like? Well, this is what it looks like to some extent in the home. What does it look like for Jesus to, to go with us wherever wherever we go. If you've ever been in a car, whether you were driving or riding with some sort of GPS system on, whether that's a GPS that's attached to your windshield or a navigation system in your car, perhaps on your phone, then periodically you had a voice speaking to you, telling you where to go. And uh, that voice may sound like different things depending on what setting you have Uh, on your gps but that voice reminds you every time you get off track every time you make a wrong turn it will tell you to to turn around or to go up 500 feet and take the next ride uh, and even if you're on track every so often that voice is telling you to what's next and and when it does if you've ever been like me then sometimes you forget the things on and this voice sort of comes out of nowhere and surprises you and you're thinking who's here with me who's Who's with me? Who's telling me where to go? But thankfully, a GPS is not really interested in everything else that we're doing and saying. A GPS is really only concerned with whether we're staying on track, whether we're navigating uh, the roads correctly, whether we are following the map. But Jesus is concerned about all that we do. He's interested in everything that we think, everything that we do, everything that we say. And He goes with us and desires to lead us and to instruct us and to inform us and to impact us and to transform how we how we do everything, not least of which how we interact with those who are closest to us. And according to the Word of God here and elsewhere, we know that Christ's followers are must honor Christ in marital relationships. Christ followers are called to honor Christ in, in marital relationships. I'm not saying that to be a follower of Christ means that you have to be in a marriage relationship. That's not what I'm communicating, but those who are in a marriage relationship are called to honor Christ in that relationship. Look back at Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and and do not be harsh with them. These are probably some of the, the least popular verses of scripture in the world today. In our culture today. And if we don't read them. And if we're not at least a little bit uncomfortable. Or, or wondering whether or not these principles are, are outdated. We are at least aware of our own inadequacies of living up to the standard. Of living up to this ideal that that Paul sets forth for the relationship between husbands and wives, and we live in a culture today that's not too keen on the idea of submission. Submission is sort of a, a buzzword that sets us off or bothered uh, by this. In fact, many many Christians even are wanting to. To explain this truth away or to bury these instructions in the cultural context of the day. And no doubt it is extremely important when we read and study God's Word that we interpret it in light of its historical cultural context. But but I believe that there are principles here and instruction that here for Christians that is pertinent for believers in every age, in, in all ages. In fact, this is a truth that we see elsewhere in scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Ephesians chapter 5, and 1 Peter chapter 3, where Paul gives instructions to husbands and wives and what that relationship looks like. And it's important that in all of these relationships, the marriage relationship and the other relationships that we'll see here in this passage, that Paul is, is not burying these truths in a culture. He's not conforming his message to the culture. Rather, he is... Revolutionizing ideas that were already present in in a culture he's heightening the call he's heightening the principles he's heightening the responsibility for believers who find themselves in these various relationships in fact, in first century Roman world, it was not uncommon for husbands to demand obedience from their wives and wives were often treated as a lesser person, and husbands often acted with Unkindness and demeaning comments and actions. And unfortunately we know this is often the case in many homes today. But what Paul is communicating here, what the Bible is communicating here for us as believers today, who find ourselves in in these relationships, he is communicating the idea of, of joyful submission to loving leadership in the home. In other words, he's, he's not telling wives to simply obey your husbands or let your husbands dominate you, or he's not expressing unqualified obedience. Rather, he is, he's asking Christian women who have a loving leader in the home to joyfully submit, to willingly follow that leadership. And likewise, he's telling men to lovingly lead their families, to lovingly lead their wives in the home a concept that was almost foreign in that day nowhere else in ancient literature of the time were husbands called really to love their wives and this idea is i believe buried in the idea of who God is as is communicated in in his word who who is who is God well God is a trinitarian god right he's He's Father, He's Son, and He's Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons. Now, stay with me, hang with me just for a moment on this. But within the Godhead, within the Trinitarian God that we worship and, and we serve, all are equal, all are God, all are eternal, all share the attributes of who, who God is. But within the Godhead, loving leadership and, and joyful submission is practiced. We see this in in the Bible, we see this in the New Testament, that the Son, Jesus Christ, fully God in the flesh, was submitting to the will of the Father, following the loving leadership of the Father. And we would never say, poor, pitiful Jesus. I can't believe He had to follow the loving leadership of His Father. As if He's some sort of lesser part of who God is. No, we know that Jesus is... Fully God, equal with the Father. He is God. And yet, this is a practice that we see in the Godhead. In other words, God's design for gender roles within the context of marriage reflects something of who He is and how He operates and how He relates to Himself. And this is a beautiful picture of complementarian structure. In the home, loving leadership, joyful submission in a way that honors the Lord. This is, by the way, one of the strongest arguments for God's design for heterosexual marriage in a culture, particularly such as today. When we participate in and we follow God's design for for our roles, and we interact with one another as husbands and wives in a way that is loving toward each other and, and husbands lovingly lead leading their wives and leading their families. We are communicating the character of God to the world. We are expressing something in a tangible picture of who God is. We as believers are, are called to do that. So what does that look like for us? I think it looks like putting your Spouse first. In your marriage, put your spouse first. Put your spouse before yourself. Because the love that we are called to here, and the love specifically that is commanded of husbands here, is is not romantic love. It's agape love. It is the unconditional, sacrificial love that God has shown us in and through Jesus Christ. So what does it look like to put our spouse first? Well, What does it look like to lovingly lead in the home, it looks like husbands, it looks like valuing our wives' desires and wishes and needs even above our own. What does it look like, wives, to joyfully follow the loving leadership of your husband? It looks like putting your husband's needs and wishes and desires even before your own. We are called to self-sacrifice, sacrificial love and humility, putting our spouse First, Christ followers must honor Christ in marital relationships. We see that here in Colossians chapter 3. And we also see that Christ followers must honor Christ in family relationships. Christ followers must honor Christ in marital relationships and in family relationships. Look back at Colossians chapter 3, picking up in verse 20. Children, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. What's fascinating to me about this section of of this letter, this portion of God's word, is that as Paul walks through these various household relationships, he speaks directly to the people that find themselves in these roles. He doesn't say, "Parents, make sure your children are obeying you." He says, "Children, obey your parents in the Lord in everything, for this pleases the Lord." In other words, he is communicating that the children in the church—remember, he's writing to the holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers. In Sisters in Christ, chapter 1, verse 2, he's writing to the church, and as he does, he addresses children directly, signifying that they are a vital part of the church, that they are part of the church. In other words, if you're a child and you're a believer in Jesus, honor Jesus by obeying your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And we know from elsewhere in Scripture, certainly the words of Jesus, that there are different levels of allegiance. Our allegiance to God comes before everything else. So if any of us find ourselves in a situation where our parents are asking something of us, or our husband or wife is asking something of us that is not pleasing to God, then our allegiance to God is first. What the Bible is saying here is, you also show your allegiance as a Christ follower to God by obeying your parents in everything. For this, for this pleases the Lord. And the flip side it says, "Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged." In other words, as you lead in the home, as you lead your kids, as you parent your children, this is not a, a condemnation of discipline. We know that parents are called to discipline in the home, but. The discipline ought to always be done in love. Our children should never question our love for them, even in the midst of of our discipline. Just as a husband is to mirror the unconditional and sacrificial love that God has shown us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, fathers are called to mirror the unconditional love of our Heavenly Father, who showers grace and love protection upon us day after day moment after moment and and moms you're not off the hook here either you no know, verse 21 says fathers do not embitter your children but that can actually be interpreted it can actually also refer to to fathers and mothers to parents and use that way, that way elsewhere in in the bible interpreted as fathers here probably most closely fitting the cultural context is fathers were the primarily are primarily the responsible ones for leading the home and disciplining children, but mothers and fathers imitating the love of Christ in the home. So what does this look like in the home for for parents and children? In your home, respect parent-child roles. In your home, respect parent-child roles. In your your marriage, put your spouse first, and in your home, respect parent-child roles. If you're a child and you're a follower of Jesus, then... And obey your parents. They are your parents. Even when it appears as if they don't know what is best. And parents, if you're a believer and you're in a parental role, then, then lovingly lead your children in a way that reflects the character of God. doesn't mean that we don't learn from one another. doesn't mean that sometimes even our children may know what is best. In fact, I experienced this yesterday afternoon as I was putting my youngest down for a nap. And... My daughter followed me into his room and she said, don't worry, dad, I'll stand right over here. I just want to watch you put him down for a nap and I'll stay right here and be real quiet while you pray for him. And I sort of looked at her and said, well, Kinsley, I usually just pray over him when I put him down at night, uh, not necessarily when I put him down for a nap, just as serious as can be. She said, daddy, I really think you need to pray for him every time you put him down. I thought, you know what? You're right. I'm going to pray for him, for him now. For Jesus to follow us as Christ followers, as people who've committed to follow Him, for Jesus to follow us and impact us in every, every area of our life means relationships that are pleasing to Him. family relationships, marriage relationships. And now in the final portion of this passage of Scripture, we see one more specific relationship mentioned beginning in verse 22. So look back at it with me. Paul says, "Slaves." Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. This is a relationship that feels a little bit more foreign to us and thankfully it does because we don't live in a culture that is practicing slavery today. In order for us to understand what Paul is conveying here, what the Bible is conveying here, is we need to know something of the context into which he is, is writing and in. Ancient Roman world, it is estimated that there were something like 60 million slaves or one-third to one-half of the population found themselves as slaves. And though here and elsewhere in Scripture, biblical writers don't come out and directly condemn this, this practice, the application of Christian principles, of principles like we found here, ultimately led to the downfall of slavery in the ancient Roman world. In fact, Paul has already addressed the church in verse 11, saying here in the church there is no Gentile or Jew, there's no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Putting slaves and masters on equal footing, on an equal plane before God. And once again, just as he directly addressed children, here he directly addresses slaves as if they are a vital part of of who the church is there. That they're children of God, just as everyone else in the church is a child of, of God. And then later it's interesting, we, we learned that Onesimus, who the book of Philemon is about, Onesimus, a runaway slave, learned that Onesimus accompanied the delivering of this letter to Christians in Colossae. And in chapter 4, verse 9, he's described as our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. Throughout this section, language found here relativizes this relationship. This relativizes this relationship of apparent unequals. And we miss some of this in our English translations of the Bible because the same word that is translated Lord is the same word in Scripture that's translated Master. So listen again to this section as I read it With that in mind, thinking about how this would have come across to to its original hearers and readers. Verse 22, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the master. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the master, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the master as a reward. It is the Master Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for the wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Verse chapter four, verse one, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. In other words, Paul is saying, if you are a Christian and you're a slave, you be the best slave. You be the hardest worker. You do everything you have as if you are doing it for the Lord. Because though, as a slave in, in that world, you didn't have much hope of an earthly inheritance, you have an inheritance kept in heaven for you that will never perish, spoil, or fade away. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. And if you are a master, then you be the fairest master. And you be the most just master. And you be the most gracious master. After all, you have a master in heaven who has been gracious, exceedingly gracious and merciful with you and no none of us find ourselves in that relationship today these principles directly apply to a position that many of us are in or most of us are in and that is an employer employee relationship but we are all working for someone or we have others who are working for us and we must honor Christ in those relationships Christ followers must honor Christ in professional relationships professional relationships. Christ followers are called to honor honor Christ in the marriage relationship and in family relationships. And thirdly, we see here that we are called to honor Christ in professional relationships. So when Jesus follows us, not only to, not only home, but when Jesus follows us into the workplace, it means that we are working faithfully, diligently in a way that represents the God that we serve, the God that we worship. For even when others supervisors bosses employers are not watching us there is one in heaven who is the great and sovereign king the almighty god the master of masters the lord of lords our savior and he is always watching us and he is worthy of of our lives that are devoted to him that are carried out in such a way that reflects who he is we are called to honor to honor Jesus's name and He is the one we are ultimately serving. So in your workplace, serve the Lord. In your workplace, whatever position you find yourself in, in the workplace, do work in such a way that recognizes that you serve the Lord. And this isn't a call to to workaholism, to the neglect of other things. No, this this is a call to faithful work and diligent work. Working with justice and exercising work that is characterizes the grace of God the character of God who God is because we know we have a master in heaven who has been gracious with us church in in your marriage put your spouse first as believers in in your home honor parent child roles and in the workplace serve the lord and notice that in throughout this passage throughout these verses over and over again. The motivation is, is not our well-being or someone else. Ultimately, the motivation to, to live out Christian life in these very relation, various relationships is to, do, to live a life that is pleasing to, to the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, not as working for the Lord. An inheritance from the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You have a master in heaven. In other words, over and over again, we're called to recognize that that we want Jesus to penetrate every area of our lives. Every relationship within our lives. Because we want him to be honored. We want him to, glor- to be glorified. Jesus has an impact on, on everything that we do. Jesus impacts who we are. Jesus desires to transform every, every area of our lives from our marriage, our family relationships our work ethic, ultimately for His glory. So in summary, Jesus impacts the ordinary, everyday relationships of His people. Jesus desires to impact all of us. And that ought to be evident in the relationships with people who are closest to us. Jesus impacts the ordinary, everyday relationships of His people. As Jesus Impacting your relationships? Does your look, life look as if Jesus is following you around? Has Jesus had an impact on you? Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity once again to open your word, to, to hear from you. Father, I do pray that that has indeed taken place today. Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak to us, that you would continue to lead us as your people who desire to reflect who you are, to be, to be faithful to, to who you are and who you call us to be. And Father, we pray that our lives would model for others a life that is devoted to Christ, a, a life that has been totally transformed, revolutionized by, by your love for us through Jesus Christ. Father, hear our praise now as we respond to you, for you are worthy. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen.